Okay, the next question that people ask me, the moment that they've decided, okay, I know what I want to do, Sherman, when it comes to running my entrepreneurship, I want to be able to um, do this, that, or the other thing. The next largest question people ask me is, it always comes down to money. And so one thing that I would say is, if you can keep all the money, keep it for yourself. So in other words, if you, if you don't have to get partners, don't get them. And if you don't need to be able to share any of the profits, again, don't get a partner. If you can, if you can start your business kind of on the side, so that way you, as you're doing your full-time job, you can still bring in a little bit of income or you can get this other piece to start growing. And then the moment that it's growing to the point that it's going to provide for your wants and needs and replace your current income, or it gets so um, heavy from a timeline perspective, then that's where you devote all your time and attention. Um, the other thing that I think of is there are opportunities to get micro lending, to use credit, um, to do a small business uh, loan. Um, anytime that you get into debt, though, just understand that you're, you're, you're taking on the risk of interest and, of course, then paying that individual back, whether it's a bank or a private individual. When it comes to having in partners, just know that um, it's a lot easier to get rid of equity than it is to give up control. And so even though you give away a portion of your business, let's say, you know, 20%, you want to make sure that they understand that their 20% entitles them to just that 20%. They do not dictate how you decide to run your business. And that becomes extremely critical because control of your business is is far more important than the actual value of it. Um, so when, when people ask me, okay, well, what should I do? You know, should I bring on a partner? If you don't have to, then don't. The reason why you would is because someone else has a level of expertise that you do not possess. And you want to be able to tap into that area of expertise from them. Um, or if let's say, for example, you feel very comfortable with what you're doing, but they actually open up another opportunity, a network, um, people that are really well connected, um, then again, it's, it's worth bringing in that other partner. The last thing that I would say is if you are very confident with who you are, but you're very apparent and very aware of your ultimate weaknesses and a partner helps complement that, they are a strength where you are weak. So for example, a great example um, are some of the massive companies we know today. Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak. Steve Jobs was a total visionary, but Steve Wozniak had the ability and the, the engineering know-how to really create it the way that it ultimately got done. Um, Bill Gates had Steve, another, again, another Steve, to be able to help with the actual um, creation of Microsoft the way that we see it today. So just know that for yourself, understand what your strengths are, understand ultimately what your weaknesses are, and if you need to bring somebody in, bring somebody in. Um, and then know where equity comes into play and all of that. There's also crowdfunding. There's just a multitude of different ways to be able to raise funds, so just be aware of that. Sherm's out. Okay, so this book, this concept comes from the book E-Myth Revisited or Entrepreneur Myth Revisited. 
and it's the idea that you wear three hats. Now, I have this pinned in my uh, Twitter so you can see the video on this as well, but it's the idea that you ultimately wear three hats. One is the entrepreneur, the visionary, the person that is seeing the future. The next person, number two, is the technician. That's the person that sees things as they are right now, the tasks that need to get accomplished, and technically speaking, this is what typically is the product or service that you're offering to others. Lastly, the third person is the manager. And oh, technicians worried about the day-to-day, -day, the now. The, the, the manager is focused on the past. What got us here, that's what we'll continue to focus in on. So they're looking at metrics or looking at results that actually helped get you to where you are today. And the value of that individual, um, of all three individuals, are critical for future growth and true success as an entrepreneur. Now, when you first start out, the reality is that you have to wear each of those hats. If you give too much time and attention to the technician, you end up becoming just a technician. You don't have the ability to, the foresight to see where it's, where the business is going, where it's headed. And you don't have the ability to actually look back because you're not ever evaluating things to know what's really going to actually make a difference. And so um, without having the visionary, you end up finding yourself doing the exact th same thing over and over again and never really getting out of the quote unquote rut. And so you want to be able to make sure that you not only allow each person to have a voice, but make sure that you take time to allow your entrepreneur to continue to create the vision and give yourself time to take a step back and evaluate what is working really well and what is not. And then by being able to do this, you're going to allow yourself the opportunity to truly see things as they are for your business and ultimately be able to drive it the way that you see fit. So understand that those three things need to be, need to be not only worn, those hats, but those tasks need to be accomplished. The entrepreneur, seeing the future, the manager, looking at the past and the results, and the technician, getting things accomplished in the day-to-day. And so by, by being able to do this, you're going to give yourself a greater opportunity of success by wearing all three hats and playing all three roles in your business. Now note, as you get larger, you will have the ability to bring on other talent that will allow you then to focus in on what you like to do best. You know, it reminds me of the perfect example of this that you probably can readily understand um, is someone that started, um, they're really good chef. So they opened up a restaurant. Now this chef is phenomenal. They're great at cooking. The struggle that they are running into is they have to open up the store really early, let's say 5 a.m. They're doing a bunch of prep work. And again, they don't have the finances to hire a bunch of other people. So then at around um, you know, 10.30, they open up the door, they start serving lunch. They're playing, they're playing chef, they're playing, you know, order taker, um, you know, server. The, then, then, they're, then, then after the, the lunch rush, they're cleaning up everything. So now they're doing uh, um, that side of it. And then they have to also then start ordering food for the next week. And then they have the dinner. Then they start prepping for dinner. And next thing you know, they're leaving at 2 in the morning. 
So it becomes this, and, and then you, that's literally a recipe for burnout because you're only focused in on the technician's role. And it's going to be painful to understand that the first probably three to five years in business is literally just staying above water. And then by some point in years, you're going to want to staff up as quickly as possible to be able to have other people start running those different aspects of your career or of your business. The moment that you can have another technician, now all of a sudden you've been able to duplicate your work, right? The moment that you're able to teach someone else how to cook, now you've all of a sudden you've been able to bring another town on. Once you have the ability to hire an office manager, again, you have the ability to duplicate yourself. Critical things. That's it. Sherm's out. The next trouble for the entrepreneur is to have a look at once you're wearing all those three hats of being an entrepreneur, a manager, and also a technician, the next struggle that they find is often sales and marketing. And so one thing just to be able to get over for anyone that decides to start up their own business is that you've entered the world of sales. It doesn't mean that you're a salesperson, but you are by what you need to do. In order for your ideas and concepts and services to be heard, you need to be able to sell that to people. And in order for your actual product to get off the shelf, and get bought by people is you need to be in sales and marketing. And so one of the things you want to have a look at is creating a strategy that gets you in front of people on a regular basis to share with them your product or service and to get them to say yes or no. Now one of the things that makes it very unique right now is that you have a whole multitude of different ways that you can um, showcase this right you have the ability to be able to show in video and picture and in uh, text format Facebook Instagram Twitter um, LinkedIn podcasts um, email marketing face-to-face -face conversations working with chambers uh, business networking international BNI um, young professionals events there's a multitude of different ways whether you want to go face-to-face belly to belly with people you want to go online and do it um, you know text to text or email to email you can go back and forth with whatever medium that you feel the most comfortable with which makes it very advantageous for anyone that says hey you know what I want to be able to sell something to someone and the one thing to understand when it comes to sales most, um, most importantly is that it is a sales is a quantity business and not everybody no matter how good your product is some people will just not want to buy it. I need to be able to get over that that's a tough thing for a lot of people to stomach is that guess what no matter how amazing your product or service is not everybody is gonna say yes and everybody you sit across from everything you have a conversation with is not gonna want to say yes and the reason why that exists is because there are people that just don't want to do it, right? Everyone knows that certain things that we should eat. Everybody knows, everybody literally knows that consumption of uh, tobacco products highly increase your ability to die. But guess what? People still consume it. So it's not about that. Even in the face of life or death, people decide to buy what they want 
because they realize that they want or need it. And so you want to be able to be able to come from that angle. Number one is how can you get enough people, you in front of enough people to say yes or no, right? And the moment that people start saying yes or no, you've entered the world of sales. And you want to be able to start monitoring that and metricing that. How many face-to-face conversations do I need to have? How many emails am I sending out to actually get somebody to say yes? Now, I would encourage any entrepreneur to take a sales and marketing class online, read a book about sales, follow other people that are doing personal branding in a very successful way. And what you'll find is that they are relentless at giving of themselves in order to get exposure, right? So think of it like a big funnel. You want to put as much at the top of that funnel and slowly what, as, as it narrows down, you'll only get the people then that buy. And so the reality is, is that you're just sifting. You're just looking for the people that are going to say yes and not yet. Because if let's say there's a thousand people in your community, right, that, that fit, that could buy that product or service that you're offering, you can't even service a thousand people. Yes, you would want, you'd want all of them to buy, but you wouldn't be able to service them all. But what you would want to be able to do is take that thousand people and synthesize it into something that's manageable. So basically, of those thousand people, I want just 200 of them as clients. So when it's all said and done, I want to take that thousand person list and whittle it down to just 200. And ideally, a no to me in this list is just as good as a yes at this point because I'm sifting. I'm going to find out who's really ready and then I'm going to find the other people that are not ready yet. Work on those people that are not ready yet over my sales and marketing All right, so when it comes to sales, the most important thing to understand is that it, you want to be coming from the perspective of the buyer. So what is your audience? What is the person that's going to buy from you actually thinking? What's going on in their mind? What's their concerns? And not just initially like, of course, hey, if they, you know, you're, you're a car salesman and they come in and they want to buy a car, of course, they're thinking about a car. At the same time, they're thinking about affordability. They're thinking about their budget. They're thinking about what can they put down? What are you, what are you going to pay for their current car in order to get them into a new vehicle? Um, what's their financing going to look like if they decide to finance it? So it's not just at face value. You might show them a wonderful 2014 used Toyota Camry, baby blue with you know a, a white leather interior. It's beyond that. It's understanding what else is kind of on their mind and how do you get them to be able to see things from your perspective. So the first thing that you want to focus on is them. As, as much as that might seem counterintuitive to you because initially, like these are what your typical, um, I call them a hammer salesman, where basically they're giving a hammer and then everybody's a nail. Everybody needs to get what they're giving, right? There's that kind of sales mentality. That hammer salesman doesn't work anymore. The consultative approach is really the one that not only can get you the bigger deals, but it also gets you long-term relationships. And where you want to be coming from then is to be professionally curious. Ask them questions about what they want. And don't be like uh, an attorney where you're leading the witness, where you're basically <clears throat> having these canned questions where basically they're only inevitable answers to be like, well, then I need to buy your 2017 fully loaded Toyota Camry. <clears throat> 
So once you get to that point where you're thinking about the client, okay, what do they want? You you have some really good questions to ask them to be able to get them to be able to express to you what they're thinking, what's on their mind, what's really at the heart of why they're there to buy the car today. <coughs> and then <clears throat> after that, wow, I'm totally burping a lot. Sorry about that. I'm going to keep this real and live just because that's what's happening uh, at the moment that I'm speaking this stuff out. Um, and the the individual that you're asking questions to, you've got to give them an opportunity to actually say what do they want. And then I would write down, if you can, their answers. So that way you're verbatim feeding back to them what you're hearing. And so this really comes down to key communication skills. And, and that's really where sales really meets um really has its advantage for those that are very communicative. Those that are very communicative have a natural ability to be better at sales than someone that isn't. And so what it comes down to though is to ask a question, to really listen, write down what they're saying, and then to restate what you heard. And then when it comes to presenting to them a solution, you're connecting the dots on what they said they wanted, what they needed, their concerns, and how the product or service that you offer satisfies every single one of those. So for example, you don't really care what kind of car you have brand-wise, but what you did want is you wanted a seven-seater with a dark interior because you have children, so it sounds like you're gonna wanna be able to cargo the kids around. Um, you don't, do you tow anything? No, you don't tow anything. So really, um, and then you want a car that's good for long road trips. It sounds like what you described to me is a minivan. We happen to have four different models in our lot. Would you like to see them? Boom. So now I was able to connect with them, what they told me, what they said they wanted. And all of a sudden now they are open to that conversation. So think about it. Think about that then from the products and services that you're offering from your business, from a sales perspective. Again, the process. Here's the backbone on it. In communication, ask questions to get out what they want. Number one, ask really good questions. Number two, really listen. Number three, write it down. Number four, restate back to them. Number five, connect the dots on what they said they want or need with how your product and services satisfies those things. Hopefully that's helpful. Sure, out. Oftentimes in sales, it becomes apparent if you have passion and enthusiasm for what you're talking about. And so it doesn't mean that you have to believe that, let's say you're selling carpet cleaning services. It doesn't mean that you're in love with carpet cleaning services, but you might really like the idea of giving people really clean houses, of really getting out stains that are stuck, or of being able to you know, really transform a space so that way it is truly clean and more livable and it helps people with their overall health and hygiene. And so it doesn't, but at the same time, we can totally tell if you don't like what you do and you're bored and you hate it and it shows on your face, it shows in your voice, right? You pick up the phone, hey, how can I help you, right? I can tell that you hate what you're doing. You need to get out of that situation. And so when it comes ultimately to your products and services that you're selling in your, in your business, you want to make sure that you believe in it. And if you don't, then change out what you don't believe, right? So for example, if let's say 
Um, I sell um, <clears throat> I sell baby furniture, and that's the business that I started. Right? I, I maybe I carve wood, and, and, I, and I love creating like rocking chairs and and uh, um, and cribs out of wood. If I don't really like what I've created, there's probably pretty good odds I don't want to sell it because I don't really like the finished product. And so you want to be able to know, like, number one, that you like what you do, that it means something to you, and it might not be earth shattering, right? Again, I don't think necessarily selling like uh, a baby's crib or a rocking chair is going to change the world, but it's going to help that person have something that they want in their life and make them feel comfortable. And they're going to be taking care of the people that they care most about, probably in those rocking chair and in that crib. So that's kind of where you can change your perspective on things to really see what benefit it is that you're offering to the world. And oftentimes when you have a product or service, you're either going to have focusing on giving the best service or you're going to try to create the best product. But the reality is the moment that you've created the best product, it doesn't exist anymore. The moment that you have the best price, someone's going to try to beat you on that as well. And again, when you have the best service, people are going to try to duplicate your service model. And so you're going to want to focus in on, ultimately, what is the end result? Like, what makes people feel good? What's, the, what's their ultimate benefit from having the products and service in your life? Sherm's out.